coming up on Better Place Project. Hunger, starvation, and poverty, pervasive brutality and exploitation, the spread of violence and destruction despite every violent and destructive effort to contain them, the unrepentant rapaciousness of capitalism, the brutal imposition of one religion over another, and murder in the name of the divine to name a few. As a result, ways to change these things also become available to us. That is what I am talking about here. A key point in this passage for me that that I really like or that resonated with me is where he says that we're still experiencing, quote, the spread of violence and destruction despite every violent and destructive effort to contain them. We just don't seem to learn. We will never end violence against each other until we stop committing violence against each other. Make the world a better place. Make the world a better place. Hey, hey, I'm Steve Norris. Welcome to Better Place Project, where each week we shine a light on amazing humans from every corner of the planet who are doing extraordinary things to help make the world a better place including sharing their knowledge with us on how we can be living healthier, happier, more purposeful lives. Hey, everybody. Thanks for being here. Guys, I've held off for weeks without commenting on what's going on in the Israel and Hamas war. It's just so horrific, so ugly, But I've just come to the conclusion that I simply cannot remain silent any longer, as I feel my silence is in some way, just my lack of saying anything just doesn't feel right. I just feel that it's time for me to take a stand. It's time for me to pick a side. And judging by the vitriol I'm seeing on social media, the side that I have picked the decision I have made will certainly be viewed as a controversial one. Now, before I get to that, I wanted to give a quick summary of the history of that region. Now, keep in mind, I'm simply painting with a very broad brush here just to present a little context and perspective. Gaza has been inhabited for thousands of years and fought over by Egyptian pharaohs, Babylonians, Macedonian Greeks, Romans, Mongols, Arabs, Crusaders, Ottomans, and even Napoleon. Alexander the Great took over and captured Gaza City, killing the men and enslaving women and children. In Roman times, Christianity spread there. In fact, a tiny Christian community in Gaza is still there to this day, and its one and only church was actually damaged during this latest round of fighting. Arab armies invaded 1,400 years ago and brought Islam. Now, Gaza was part of the Ottoman Empire for most of the period from the 16th century until 1917, and at that time it was taken by British troops. This was during World War I. Now, over the last century, Gaza has passed from British to Egyptian to Israeli military rule. It's now basically a fenced-in region inhabited by about 2.3 million Palestinians, and most of them are descendants of refugees. So now in most recent history, 
1948 was basically the end of British rule. As British rule came to an end in Palestine in the late 40s, just that's where the violence came, or I should say intensified between Arabs and Jews. And that culminated in war between the newly created state of Israel and its Arab neighbors in May of 1948. The invading Egyptian army seized a narrow coastal strip, so it's about 25 miles long from Sinai to just south of Ashkelon. Tens of thousands of Palestinians who fled or were basically driven from Israel sought shelter there, and that tripled the population up to about 200,000 people. Now, thereafter, Egypt held the Gaza Strip for about two decades during the 50s and 60s under a military governor, letting Palestinians work and study in Egypt. Now, Israel captured the Gaza Strip in the 1967 Middle East War. An Israeli census that year put Gaza's population at just under 400,000, and well over half of them, at least 60% anyway, were refugees. So with the Egyptians gone, many Gazan workers took jobs in the agriculture, construction, service industries there inside Israel so they could gain easy access. Israeli troops remained to administer the territory and guard the settlements that Israel built in the following decades. Then in 1987, 20 years after the 67 war, Palestinians launched their first uprising. This occurred after an Israeli truck crashed into a vehicle carrying Palestinian workers in Gaza's Jabalia refugee camp, and four people were killed. So there were protests, there were strikes, there were shutdowns, and the Egyptian-based Muslim Brotherhood created an armed Palestinian branch, Hamas. So this is how Hamas started with its power base in Gaza. So dedicated to Israel's destruction and the restoration of Islamic rule, Hamas became a rival to Yasser Arafat's secular Fatah party. Israel and the Palestinians then signed an historic peace accord in 1993 that led to the creation of the Palestinian Authority. In 2000, Israeli-Palestinian relations fell to an even farther low with the outbreak of the second Palestinian uprising. It ushered in a period of bombings, shooting attacks by Palestinians, and Israeli airstrikes. So demolitions, no-go zones, curfews, just ugliness. And a big casualty was the Gaza International Airport, which had opened in 1998, just a couple of years earlier. And this had stood as a symbol of Palestinians' hopes for economic independence. It was deemed a security threat by Israel, which destroyed its radar antenna and runway a few months after the 9-11 attacks back in 2001 against the United States. Then in August of 2005, Israel evacuated all its troops and settlers from Gaza, which by then was completely fenced off from the outside world. Then in 2006, Hamas scored a surprise victory in Palestinian parliamentary elections and then seized full control of Gaza overthrowing forces loyal to Arafat's successor, President Mahmoud Abbas. Now, much of the international community cut aid to the Palestinians in Hamas-controlled areas regarding Hamas as a terrorist organization. So Israel stopped tens of thousands of Palestinian workers from entering, cutting off just a big, important source of income. So citing security concerns, Israel and Egypt imposed more restrictions on the movement of people and goods through the Gaza crossings, and Israeli airstrikes crippled Gaza's only 
power plant. So ambitious Hamas plans to refocus Gaza's economy east away from Israel foundered. Viewing Hamas as a threat, Egypt's military-backed leader, Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, closed the border with Gaza and blew up most of the tunnels. Once again isolated, Gaza's economy went into reverse. Gaza's economy has just suffered repeatedly in the cycle of conflict, attack, and retaliation between Israel and Palestinian militant groups. Some of the worst fighting was in 2014 when Hamas and other groups launched rockets at cities in Israel. Israel carried out airstrikes and artillery bombardment that completely devastated Gaza neighborhoods. More than 2,100 Palestinians were killed, mostly civilians. Israeli put the number of its dead at 67 soldiers and six civilians. On October 7th, Hamas gunmen launched a surprise attack on Israel, going through small towns and villages and executing and killing anywhere from 1,400 to over 2,000 people, depending on the news source, but mainly civilians and taking more than 200 hostages back to Gaza. This is according to Israeli figures. Israel vowed to destroy Hamas, imposing a full siege on Gaza and hammering it with airstrikes. Medical authorities in Hamas-run Gaza say more than 8,300 people have been killed so far, including more than 3,400 minors. Israeli troops, backed by tanks, pressed into the Palestinian enclave with a ground assault, expecting to meet opposition from Hamas and other Palestinian militants that were dug into a network of hundreds of kilometers of tunnels underneath Gaza. So bottom line, this has been going on for centuries, if not a couple of thousand years. Nothing but wars and killing have been taking place in this region of the world. Nothing has changed. They just keep killing each other over there. Now, I'm not even going to begin to claim that I understand the nuances of what has taken place over there for the last 60 to 80 years, let alone further back than that. For that, I defer to my Palestinian and Jewish friends, which, by the way, I have both. And guess what? My Jewish friends and my Palestinian friends are great people that just want to live a peaceful, happy life, like all the rest of us, like every other innocent human on the planet. Now, I happen to be reading a book right now by spiritual leader Gary Zukoff, a book called Spiritual Partnership. And in it, like in his book, Seed of the Soul, he talks extensively about how we humans are slowly evolving from five-sensory humans to multi-sensory humans, and he points out the differences as well as the importance of this very important shift in consciousness. In the book, he says, quote, multi-sensory perception illuminates the non-physical cause of endless conflict. Hunger, starvation, and poverty, pervasive brutality and exploitation The spread of violence and destruction, despite every violent and destructive effort to contain them. The unrepentant rapaciousness of capitalism, the brutal imposition of one religion over another, and murder in the name of the divine to name a few. As a result, ways to change these things also become available to us. That is what I am talking about here. A key point in this passage for me that that I really like or that resonated with me is where he says that we're still experiencing, quote, the spread of violence and destruction, despite every violent and destructive effort to contain them. 
We just don't seem to learn. We will never end violence against each other until we stop committing violence against each other. When we continue to declare war, we continue to get war forever. Now, you may be thinking, come on, Steve, the attacks on Israel on October 7th were horrific. Guys, no doubt about it. What happened on that day was vile, inhumane, and disgusting on every level. I am unequivocally renouncing any forms of violence, and I am also saying anybody or any entity, any government that engages in this type of behavior needs to be captured and held accountable. These were brutal assassinations of innocent human beings. So please, in no way am I saying that those who commit acts like this should not be punished. No, I'm not saying that at all. These people and groups should be captured and held accountable for their crimes. And if in fact the accounts that we are seeing and what we are hearing is that the Israeli government has been dropping bombs on innocent civilians, then we need to be calling that out too and holding those accountable accordingly. We need to condemn any and all acts of violence against innocent people. That includes the condemnation of violence inflicted on innocent Palestinians in Gaza. So in a world that often seems divided by lines drawn in blood and conflict, I find myself at a crossroads. The Israel-Gaza conflict, a long-standing and painful struggle, has once again erupted into headlines and social media feeds. As the world debates and takes sides, I have made my choice. But it's not a choice between Israelis and Palestinians. It's a choice for something greater, something more enduring, a choice for love over violence. The Israel-Gaza conflict is a deeply complex and emotional issue that has defied resolution for generations. Innumerable lives have been lost, homes destroyed, and families torn apart. The cycle of violence, while it may ebb and flow, persists. It's easy to be swayed by the prevailing narratives and to feel the pressure to pick a side, to become a cog in this destructive cycle. But what if we chose a different path? What if we chose love over hate? Empathy over anger? What if we chose peace over violence? Violence begets violence. And history has taught us that it rarely leads to lasting solutions. The endless cycle of retaliation and further escalation has left both Israelis and Palestinians trapped in a seemingly endless loop of suffering. It's a painful truth that we must confront. Violence only deepens wounds, hardens hearts, and perpetuates a cycle that is in desperate need of breaking. Choosing love in the face of this conflict is not a naive, idealistic stance. It is a call to our shared humanity. We must remember that every life lost, be it Israeli or Palestinian, is a tragedy. Every child growing up in the shadow of violence, every family forced to flee their homes, and every community torn apart by fear and hatred deserves our compassion and support. Love is not a passive sentiment. It is a powerful force that can drive change. It's about understanding, empathy, 
and a genuine desire to end the suffering on all sides. We can love without borders, without discrimination, and without prejudice. We can choose love for the people living on both sides of this conflict and for those around the world who are affected by it. Love can be the foundation on which we build bridges to understanding and peace. Now, choosing love does not mean turning a blind eye to the complexities of the Israeli-Gaza conflict. It means recognizing the humanity in each person, regardless of their nationality or ethnicity. It means advocating for a just and peaceful resolution where both Israelis and Palestinians can live in security and dignity. It means supporting dialogue, diplomacy, and reconciliation over confrontation and destruction. Some might argue that choosing love again is too idealistic, that the harsh realities on the ground demand a more pragmatic approach. However, I argue that our pursuit of love can be the most pragmatic decision we make. It is the rejection of a futile path that has brought so much pain and the embrace of a vision where dialogue, cooperation, and coexistence can prevail. In a world that often sees conflicts as black and white, choosing love is the gray area where humanity's greatest hope resides. It is a call to transcend the divisions, to step out of the shadows of history, and to choose a future where both Israelis and Palestinians can coexist peacefully. It's a path that, though challenging, is the only one that offers a lasting solution to this seemingly intractable conflict. So I have chosen my side in the Israel-Gaza conflict. I choose love for the lives of Israelis and the lives of Palestinians for the sake of a more peaceful and just world. I urge you to join me in this choice to stand for love and to work toward a future where violence is no longer the answer. Let us make love our common ground and our shared vision for a better tomorrow. No, it won't be easy. In fact, it will be very hard for these generational wounds to even begin to heal. But this is the only choice we have. This is the only dignified, humane choice we have. We are evolving humans. We are capable of this. We are capable to choose the right side, to make the right choice. And the right choice is to choose love. Special thanks to our producer, Noah Existe, and editor, Joe Tempoco. Our music was written and performed by Algian Importante. Thank you so much for listening. If this podcast brightened your day in any way, please share it with a friend who you think it might resonate with. Subscribe and leave us a rating and review, as that is the single best way to help the show and get the word out to more good humans. For behind-the-scenes info, please visit our website at betterplaceproject.org, where you can even click on the microphone in the lower right-hand corner and leave us a message or just stop by to say hi. And you can follow us on Instagram at betterplaceproj, and you'll find me at Instagram at Steve Norris Official. Look for small ways to be kind this week, and that will help make the world a better place. Make the world a better place. Make the world.